Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Instructions for Christian living. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its de deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's a song that's been on the radio station I listen to on heavy rotation, I think is the modern phrase, by the unlikely candidates. It's a song called Novocaine. Uh, it's got a great beat. The words are very interesting, and it tells the story of a broken relationship. Um, here are some lyrics on the screen. Um, the, the, the person, that the man in the relationship is convinced that he cannot change. He gets a punch on his lip. And so he wants some relief. He wants drugs to take away the pain. He says this, I tell my girl, I won't sing it. You'll be relieved. I tell my girl that I'm, that I'm going to change my ways. She knows I'm never going to change. And then there's the chorus, this great drumbeat. I can't change. Guess you could blame it on my left side brain. I should know better, but you know, I know, I know. I ain't ever going to change. Well, if you're not into music, uh, the sports field has been very interesting, as has the Twitter sphere. In the last few weeks, uh, England have been playing New Zealand not very well, probably lose today. But uh, there's been some off the field attention more than the members of the cricket team would normally like or experience because of past tweets and what they've contained. But a number of senior players who posted things 10, 15 years ago when they were younger um, regret what they have written and say, I'm a changed person. I made mistakes. One song says, I'm never going to change. I can't. Other people are saying, I can change. Change is what this passage is all about. I mean, who doesn't want to change? It might be your waistline that you want to change, your midriff. It might be your marriage. It might be your motivation to do something that you know is wrong and unhelpful. But we just want to change, but we feel as if we can't. Paul says you can. Paul says there's power in the gospel to change. There's a new power that's come from outside of yourself that gives you power to be transformed. It's at the heart of Christmas and Easter that Jesus went from the heavenly realms. He took on human flesh. He was born into a virgin's womb and from a virgin's womb. And because of that, we can be spiritually transformed and changed. We can have new birth, new life. That's what Jesus came to win. And in that new reality are all the resources we have to change. I don't want to change. I can't change. The Bible says you can. That's what these verses are about. Let's see what they teach. Verse 17 to 24 of Ephesians chapter 4. Here's how you change. Number one, you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision. Look at uh, sentence 22 and 24 with me, please. It says this, you were taught to put off your old self, put on the new self. There's lots of language of putting off 
and putting on. And you can read that and think, aha, Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus and whoever would have read this circular letter, here's something new that you need to do. Go to your wardrobe, off with the old, on with the new. You need to say that very frequently to a teenage boy or they wear the same things. So I'm told. It looks as if it's imperatives. It looks as if it's a description from Paul. This is what you must do. This is something new for you to do. And if we read it like that, actually we're reading it wrongly and it's very, very unhelpful. The type of verbs in sentence 22 and 24, kind of getting a little bit technical, that Paul chooses to use intentionally, deliberately, show that this is not a new thing, this is something that's already happened in the past. It's a decision that's been made in the past that's got uh, actions that affect the future and the present as well. Look at uh, what Paul has been saying in chapters 1, 2 and 3, the first half of the book of Ephesians. Paul said, this is what God has done. This is the new life that God has given to every believer in Christ, in him. A solid and certain future. You've got the deposit of that reality with the Holy Spirit in your hearts. The same power that God used to raise his son from the dead, chapter one, is now seen in you, chapter two. You're new people. And the heavenly realms marvel at the purpose of God seen in the church. That's chapters one, two, and three. In chapter four, verse one, if you've got an English standard version, it says walk. Because of all of that, this is how you should behave. If you've got NIV, because of what God has done, the new person you're made in Christ, this is how you should live. Live a worthy life, chapter 4, verse 1. It's there again in chapter uh, 5, verse 2. ESV, walk, walk. Live a worthy life, live a worthy life. And we see the same phrase, chapter 4, verse 17. Walk. Or if you've got an NIV, it says, don't longer live like the Gentiles do. In other words, you've made a decision to change. God's made you new people. So don't go back to an old way of living. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. Paul knows his audience. He knows that they're Gentiles. They're non-Jewish people who have trusted the Lord Jesus. And yet he says, chapter 4, verse 17, don't live like the Gentiles do. So, so what's his point? He's saying, remember where you've come from. Look at verse 17, 18, and 19. In those three sentences, verse 17, 18, and 19 of chapter 4, it says, can I remind you how you used to live, in the way you thought, in the way you behaved, in your heart posture towards God? How did you used to live? Because with time comes perspective. And with perspective, you can see that the way you used to live, it was futile. It was like pushing a great big boulder upwards on a hill. You used to live for video games, teenager. You used to live for classic cars, like an old friend of mine. It was his every waking hour was thinking about his classic cars, spending his Sundays and Saturdays on them, his resources and making them new. And then he became a Christian and he looked back and said it was futile. I'm going to sell three of them and keep one. For weddings and whatnot. With perspective, Paul is saying, you can see how you used to spend your teenage years on your PlayStation 2, speaking personally. What a waste of hours. It's a good thing that you can enjoy, but don't spend too much time on it. You can see how you used to work so hard for your career that your family suffered. 
What a waste. What a missed opportunity. You'll never have that time again. But now you're a new person. So Paul is saying, remember the decision you've made. You've put on a way of life and you've put on a new way of life. You've taken off your old self and you've put on a new self. Remember what you've done because that decision should be impacting how you live now and on into the future. It's a little bit like marriage. If you're married, you, you get uh, prepared for a wedding day. You make covenant promises before God and before people. But it's really just the beginning of a lifelong, careful what word I'm going to say now, a lifelong blessing, a lifelong opportunity of committed life together. Anne-Marie was laughing ahead of me. Um, but it's a great opportunity to live out the promises you have. You make promises on your wedding day and you live on into the future, committed in covenant promises together. And Paul's saying it's just the same when you become a Christian. Change begins with a decision, but the, the world begins uh, and understands change in a different way. Look at the, the world's understanding of change. They say this, people change when the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of change. Change happens when the doctor says to you, if you don't change your lifestyle, how much you smoke or drink, how much you eat, it has serious consequences for the future. Until you have that external challenge, people won't change. It can be from a loved one, but then a doctor says it and it's got more weight. A superior says, if you keep turning up late, like your colleagues have told me you are, you're letting the team down, yourself down, the job down, you're going to lose your job unless you change. Until the pain of changing is greater than the pain of change, change isn't going to happen. And Paul says, no, no, change begins with a decision. You've already made the decision, verse 17, 18, and 19. Look back at the life you lived outside of Christ when you're living for yourself and for not God. Because change always begins with a decision. But the danger is, secondarily, that you think that it's just about externals. If I change, then I would use my car less. I'd become more green. I would drink less. I'd become fitter, potentially, and so on. The Bible says change begins with a decision. But number two, change happens from the inside out, from the inside out. Uh, sentence 22 and 24 again, put off and put on. It's a language of changing your clothes. I just thought this was a great awkward photo, so I put it on. You're taking your jacket on or off. And it's the language of changing clothes or garments that Paul uses in verse 22 and 24. In uh, ancient times, the uh, Greek writers in antiquity, they would use these verbs, this language, to talk not about uh, clothes only, but also of behavior. So you could change your motives, take off hatred, become kinder, put off hatred and put on love. But no one, says the uh, commentators in the Bible, use these verbs in the way Paul does. Paul's not talking about clothes, put off, put on. He's not talking about behavior, put off, put on, in these language or these sentences. He's talking about a self. Sentence 22 and 24 again. He's saying in a, in a way that's unique that other writers do not use. Put off your old self and put on the new self. Because he doesn't want us to think it's about behaviors at this point. If you scan down to sentences 25 to 31, it's all about behavior. Stop lying. Start giving. And so on. It's behavior through and through. But Paul 
just like the whole book of Ephesians wants to teach us. It's about a state of being. Christianity is about becoming a new person before its behavior. It's inside before it's outside. All these different ways of saying it. It's about taking off your old self and putting on a new self. It's about being before doing. And so it's change on the inside that's then seen, verse 25 to 31, on the outside. So it's being before behavior. That's what Paul wants us to see. Put off your old self, put on the new self. What does that mean? Here are two things it means. Taking off your old self, putting on the new self, who's Christ, the decision you've made in the past, your new person in him. That's chapter one. It means you get a new set of motives, a new set of motives. It's about inside before it's outside. What do I mean? How do you train your children to be honest? Okay. How do you train your children to be honest? Here's an example. I think the main way that we have done it in the past can be summarized as fear and pride. Fear and pride. This is uh, how we've operated as parents in the past. If you don't tell the truth, then uh, people aren't going to like you. You're going to lose friends. If you've got a job in time and you don't tell the truth, you're going to lose your job. You won't have any friends. You won't have any job, any employment. And God will get you. And if God doesn't get you, which he will, will get you too. So tell the truth. So we're motivated our children. There's a few other parents sniggering. You tell the truth because of fear. Okay. You're motivated by fear to tell the truth. But there's a second one that we've used as well, which is pride. Motivated by fear, motivated by pride to tell the truth. This is what pride looks like. Tell the truth. You always do it with a finger as well. Tell the truth because we're not like, and you can pay yourself with other people. We're not like that family over there. We're not like that person, that boy or girl over there. They don't tell the truth. So you better tell the truth because, implication, you are better than that other person. We're a better family than the other family. Both of those motivations of fear and pride are about me or about us or about self. They're not thinking about the other person, what's good for the other person. And God is not in the picture either. So you can parent and motivate children to say, because of fear and pride, this is how you behave. But it's not about love, and it certainly isn't about the grace of God. That God is a God of truth, and that's why we're people of truth. God is a God of faithfulness, so be a person of authenticity and kindness and love and truth and so on. It's not motivated by pride, not motivated by fear. It's motivated by the grace of God. Here's another way of motivating. Imagine two women. Two women go for the same job. Neither of them get the post. But for one person whose identity is secure elsewhere, she's able to receive the rejection and she moves on with her life. She's disappointed. She wanted the job. She was uh, skilled for the job and she thought she was a good fit for the job, but she moves on with her life. She's not crushed. But for the second woman who put all her hope in getting this post, it absolutely destroys her. She thinks the world would be better without her because she got uh, rejected for the post. Her identity was located not somewhere else where it was safe and it was secure. It was all about getting this job because she needed the approval that she would receive by getting this post. Paul is saying, you've decided to put off your old self, verse 17 to 19. That's how you used to live. You've decided to put on Christ. You've decided to follow Jesus. And therefore, you're motivated internally 
in a completely different way. Your identity is safe and secure because you are in Christ. God has placed you there. Nothing can ever take away your identity, whether it's a job, whether it's parenting, whether it's career advancement, whether it's financial security, whether it's life or death or sickness or health. Your identity is completely secure. But your motivations, your internal heartbeat, your internal CPU has been made new. And so rejections, you can handle rejections, they're hard. There may be tears, there may be soul searching, and perhaps there should be. But you can handle rejection because your, your identity is safe. Criticism, you can take crit. It's easy to take from someone who, whose heart is for you. Thought about that in life group very helpfully on Tuesday evening. But rejection and disappointment and criticism, you can take those things on board because you have a new identity and you're motivated from the gospel, from that new identity and that new security. And so change is from a decision and it's inside out. But how does it begin? Thirdly, how does it begin? Well, Paul tells us the key is in verse 23. The key to change is this, not a course, not a supplement, it begins in your mind. You need to transform your thinking. It's in verse 23. Verse 23 is the key. This is what it says in verse 22. You've put off the old way, the old self. You've put on the new self. But Paul literally says in verse 23, in the spirit of your minds, be made new. Be renewed. Now back to verbs again. This is a sandwich. Well, let's go to Burger King. This is a burger, okay? So you've got in verse 22, the first part of the burger, and it says, in the past, put off. And then you've got the second half, just the second half of bread, the, the bun on the base. Verse 24, it says, put on. But right in the middle, the most important part, the filling, says you need to be renewed in your mind. You need to be renewed in your mind. The, the, the outside, the bun, verse 22 and verse 24, that's in the past. But verse 23 is a present it's a present tense. It's something that you need to keep on doing. It's a present passive, which means it's something that is done to you, but your mind is renewed. And to the degree that your mind is renewed, your heart will be changed with its affections. And you can change as God works in your life. Change is happening to the degree that the spirit of your thinking is renewed by the spirit of God. These two words almost never come together. It says uh, the spirit, and they were transformed within the spirit of your thinking. That's the sentiment that Paul, I think, is trying to communicate. What the spirit of your thinking is you get renewed day by day as you change to become more like Christ, as the Holy Spirit goes to work on you, as you walk following the footsteps and priorities of King Jesus. What's the theme of your thinking, asks Paul, I think. What's the heart of your thinking? Where are you in your waking hours when it's so hot and sticky like tonight and last night? Whose footsteps are you seeking to follow? Paul says you need to apply the gospel to yourself as you put off the old and continue to put on the new. You, you've done that in the past, but there's continual transformation that goes on in the, the life of a Christian. This is what it looks like, perhaps, when you have a voice. Hopefully, it's not just me, but sometimes there's a voice in my head, maybe yours too, and maybe it asks you questions like this. When you're having a bad day, 
at work or at home, perhaps you have a question that says, or a statement that says this, you will never amount to anything. You will never amount to anything, says the, the voice in your heart. But if you're to transform your thinking, if the Holy Spirit takes the gospel and rubs it into your heart like a, a dry rub in a steak, see where my mind's going, you will never amount to anything. You can respond with the gospel as you have transformed thinking. I am, already am something because Jesus loves me so much. He was willing to do anything for me. So try and transform your thinking with the promise of the gospel. Perhaps sometimes a voice in your head says this. You need to get that job. You need to get out to work or you're a nobody. A job will give you significance and approval and financial resources. And then the gospel says, no, no, the king of heaven has looked upon you and he loves you. You're a son and daughter of the king. There may be some approval, but it'll be temporary. It won't be eternal. Remember your status in the gospel. Perhaps a voice inside says, I've made so many mistakes. I've done so much damage in my life. Maybe the world will be better off without me. And then the gospel says you're a new person. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What are you seeking to do? You're seeking to transform your mind, not with a course, not with a supplement, but with the gospel. You've put off. You've put on the new self who's in Christ Jesus and therefore transform your mind as you identify the lie of sin and the truth of the gospel. We're going to think about this tonight in Crosslands. That's the key to change, a decision that's made. It's internal before it's external. And it's applying the gospel to your life every single day. It's minding the gap before the, uh, the platform of your life and the train of the gospel. And how do you do that? Well, it's about looking and hearing and understanding and being captivated. Finally, what does it look like to transform your mind and apply the gospel to your life? It's, a, it's about captivation, I think. Verse 23, when we get technical just for a minute, is a present passive infinitive. That means it's something that's ongoing. That means it's a status word. It's something that you receive happen to you it's not something that you do yourself as you rub your hands i'm going to transform my mind i'm going to do it right now nothing crazy like that it's something that's done to you that you're a recipient of the power of god in your life it does not say verse 23 make yourself new in the attitude of your minds just do it yourself it doesn't even say you need to renew the spirit of your thinking you need to do it now and not tomorrow it doesn't say that it's more helpful translated to the verse 23 be made new or be renewed it's done to you as god is at work in your life by his spirit transforming your head as he transforms your heart i don't think there's a strong division between those two in the bible often they're used interchangeably but notice verse 20 it says you did not come to know or to learn christ now you learn a skill right see someone in the room that likes hockey so you learn some skills you can learn a musical instrument you can learn some uh, data for a test at work or at school you come to learn skill or data okay but here in the bible it says you need to learn a person verse 20 you did not come to know christ or literally you did not come to learn christ it's about walking in his footsteps about hearing his voice about being sensitive to his spirit's direction 
And Paul is saying, you need to look at Jesus. And to the degree that you look at Jesus, who captivated your heart at first, and you do that every day, that has the power to transform your heart. That has the power to uh, renew your vision of the goodness of God every single day, because we're so forgetful, unless I'm just speaking of myself. That's how you change. You change by being captivated, by loving Jesus more than anything else. It's not a work to do. It's something that's received by a person, a Christian, as their hearts and minds are renewed by the promises of God, uh, illuminating the greatness of God by the Spirit of God as he does his work. And how is that possible? Because Jesus, something happened to Jesus that's the very opposite of what Paul is saying should happen to us. Paul says, put off the old corrupting nature, verse 17 to 19. Put off the weak nature, put on Christ, put on the strong nature. Grow, verse 24, in righteousness and holiness. And eventually God will transform us into the likeness of his son perfectly, completely. And that's a reality of what is happening, only because the reality of what happened to Christ was the very opposite. Christ didn't put off his old self and put on the good, the new self. He didn't put off the weak and take on the strong, did he? He did the very opposite. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. Jesus Christ was glorious. He was perfect. He had all power. He knew the joy of the divine trinity, the perfect relationship throughout all eternity. And yet because of the plan of the Father made with Son and Spirit, he said, I will, I do. I will win a bride for Christ, for myself and for you. I'll lay aside my majesty, I'll put aside my strength, and I'll take on weakness. I'll take on suffering, I'll take on vulnerability, I'll take on human nature. I will limit myself to humanity, knowing what's going to happen. He lost his beauty so that we might receive his glory. He took on our weakness so that we might take on his beauty and his strength. Verse 24 says that. We'll grow in righteousness and also holiness. Where is there power to change? There's power to change in the gospel that we can enjoy every single day if we're in Christ. We'll be reminded of it now as we gather around a metaphorical temple, rather temple, a table. And the, the, the elements of the table and the elements of the gospel as we share communion together has unique power to make lasting change. I can't change, says the song. The gospel says that's not true. Christ is the power to change the hardest heart. And that happens when your mind is transformed. And then it produces a softer and softer heart. And that's seen in hands that want to serve and get involved in Epsom and you to the ends of the earth.